Hey everyone, welcome back to the Capital Volume 1 reading series. This week we are doing chapter 8, of course. So in this chapter, Marx is essentially going over the differences between the two main elements of the value-producing labor process. So labor in capitalism. There is one, the value added by the labor, and then there is two, the value transferred by the means of production. So this second part is the value transferred as referred to previously in last chapter. So the value of the means of production that are consumed or destroyed to create the new commodity. So in last week's example, the yarn is produced by destroying a certain amount of cotton and destroying a certain amount of a spindle. So this is a two-sided aspect of the labor process under capitalism. Labor creates and transforms value. So the value transferred, so the value of, let's say, the cotton and the spindle, is transmogrified from cotton and spindle to a part of the yarn. You know, the physical thing changes. The use values that previously existed in the cotton and the spindle are destroyed. They no longer exist. But the value embedded within them is transferred into the new physical thing. And of course, this twofold nature of producing value as well as transferring value is unified by concrete labor. It is what both of these elements of the labor process have in common, is that there is useful actual labor being done. This is, of course, why value is only transferred if what the concrete labor produces is useful. Imagine the labor process is fully automated. In this case, the value of the means of production that is consumed is still transferred, you know, if the automated labor process creates something useful, of course. But there is no wage or value produced. This is, of course, because there's no actual labor done in the process itself. So in this example, there is, I guess, technically concrete labor being done, but it's fully automated. There would be no surplus value extraction in a theoretically fully automated, let's say, capitalist society. If such a thing is even possible, Marx sort of plays around with this idea somewhat in the Grundrisse. So, and another difference between uh, these two elements of the value added versus the value transferred is that the value added by labor is determined by the abstract labor done and not the concrete labor. So as, as we've talked about before, of course, value is added not because of a specific activity and what you do, but in nature, the fact that it is an exertion of labor for a certain amount of time on average. Now, of course, for that value to count, there still has to be a use value being produced. But importantly, the value that is transferred from the means of production to the product is transferred because of the specific activity being done. What is meant by that is, you know, the yarn has value transferred because the cotton is mixed with the spindle. The details of the cotton being mixed with the spindle is like a detail of the specific nature of the concrete labor being done. And the value that labor is added is because of how long this process takes in general. This process of adding value can be compared with all other different types of labor process. But the transferring of the specific value of the cotton and the spindle is an element that is only a part of the specific concrete labor being done. So these two aspects of labor in capitalism are separate phenomena. One does not determine the other. They're only unified through the fact that there is concrete useful labor being done. The two-folded labor creates a product with a two-folded character. And importantly, we can calculate the part of the value in a commodity that comes from the transfer of value, so let's say from the, as we did in, in last chapter, from the spindle and the cotton, and the value that comes from the production of new value, or from labor. And this difference will be very important, especially with the idea of surplus value. So 
From this two-folded labor comes the idea of constant capital and of variable capital. So constant capital is the means of production, as I said before, the instruments and materials of production. And in production, constant capital, surprise, surprise, remains constant. It does not change in value. It is only transferred. Variable capital, on the other hand, is labor power. Variable capital expands in value. It covers itself, it covers the wage of the laborer, and then, at least ideally for the capitalist, creates some more value. Now, it's, it's of course, variable. To quote Marx, variable capital is continually being transferred from a constant to a variable magnitude. It's continually going from simply the wage of the laborer, and these two elements of capital essentially function autonomously. If one increases, the other does not necessarily increase. So what I mean by that is, let's imagine that in the production of yarn, to again continue from last chapter's example, if the spinner can now spin cotton, let's say, six times as efficiently as they did in the example. If this is the case, then six pounds of cotton absorbs as much labor as one pound of cotton did before. This is because in the same hour, the person can produce six times as much cotton, obviously. So if production is more efficient, if the socially necessary labor time to produce yarn is quicker, then the new value created in a pound of yarn is way less than it used to be. Because, you know, it takes way less time to make. But, importantly, the value transferred from the means of production, constant capital, the cotton and the spindle that has been consumed, remains the same regardless of the labor time. doesn't matter how efficiently the labor is done, if the same amount of constant capital is consumed, then it's the same in, in the equation. Inversely, if for whatever reason cotton, let's say, becomes six times cheaper than it used to be, and production stays the same, production time stays the same for yarn, the value transferred in the labor process drops significantly, obviously, because there's less to transfer. The cotton is worth less. But if production remains the same, the amount of value added in the labor process is constant because the production time remains the same. So you see how, you know, both of these things have to essentially happen at the same time. There has to be sort of a transfer of constant capital as well as the existence of variable capital, you know, valorizing, making more money. But the way in which they are determined are relatively autonomous. Different factors go into how they are determined. But of course, regardless, there still needs to be useful labor being done which is how these two factors are, are unified. Obviously, to go back to sort of constant capital, in the transfer of value, the means of production loses the degree of exchange value that is transferred into production under normal circumstances. So for the instruments of labor, or the machines, they transfer value based on how much machine usually is broken down per a certain amount of a commodity produced. Now, obviously, of course, if the machine doesn't break down at all during production, then there's no value transferred. Because the way this is calculated, the way the value transferred from the machine is understood, is based on the price of the machine. If the machine sells for the same amount after it has produced, let's say, a, a lot of goods, because this is based on sort of broad aggregates, then there is no value removed through producing these goods. And it is, again, obviously, because the product that is produced from this machine breaking down has a use value that the machine's value can be transferred. If you break down a machine and you create a thing that can't be sold because no one wants it, then you just destroyed the value. You didn't transfer it. Value is also, of course, transferred in what Marx calls auxiliary materials that are used up in labor as well. So an example being the cost of the coal burnt for a boiler when making iron. Another example 
is sawdust when cutting lumber. This sawdust goes into the value calculation as well. As long as, of course, you know, when you're cutting lumber down into wood, the amount of sawdust you make is about the average amount of sawdust created in the labor process. That part of wood that turns into sawdust is consumed in the value process in the same way as, as let's say, even the coal is. So value is transferred based on the loss of the old value during its consumption. Again, Marx uses this word consumption, and there, there are obviously, as I said before, two types of consumption. There is productive consumption, what we're talking about, and then consumption for like subsistence, which is it's different, not related to production. This just means that the original use is destroyed. It's severely altered or stops existing. So when lumber is cut into wood, you know, all the lumber stops being lumber. It is effectively destroyed as a use value. And all of that is converted into a certain amount of wood and sawdust. And Marx notes of living labor's ability to transfer value from the means of production into a product as a gift of nature. I think I touched on this before. It costs the laborer nothing to transfer this value. It does not come into the calculation of how much value the laborer produces or how much value the laborer is paid. It does not affect how much surplus value is extracted. It does not affect the rate of surplus value extraction. And Marx notes of how it's only during crises when this gift of labor, of, of being able to transfer value, is really appreciated by the capitalist. Because the means of production needs uh, it to be labored on to transfer it into other things that can be sold. If this isn't the case, then that means the production is essentially dead value. You know, raw materials sitting by themselves provide nothing to the capitalist, except they also even like decay at a certain rate. So like a, a, a machine to produce a certain thing starts to rust. You know, if there's food stuff involved in production, it starts to expire. So the la when the labor process abruptly stops, and all the capitalist constant capital suddenly becomes dead, you know, it's not resurrected by its transfer into other commodities, the capitalist certainly takes note of this phenomenon. Living labor sort of resuscitates or revives the value within these commodities. It turns them into a use value that the capitalist will then sell. It, it transfers the value of the means of production into something that is sellable, because obviously the capitalist isn't going to sell the spindle machine itself. The capitalist wants the value from that spindle machine, to be effectively transferred into yarn. It's the same goes for the cotton. And without actual useful labor happening, then they can't have that. And importantly, transferred value of this sort isn't produced or reproduced, which is entirely unlike variable capital or the value of labor power. If labor produces, let's say, six hours of value and the wage of the laborer is six hours, so they're paid six hours, it would be a similar equation to uh, constant capital, where there's this mere reproduction of value. Value is obviously still being produced here, but it's equal on each side of the money equation, as we saw last week, where the capitalist paid the laborer as much as their labor produced. So for there to be an extraction of surplus value, the labor power must be bought below the value it produces. And that is where surplus value comes from. We found it. Surplus value is the difference between the value of the product and constant plus variable capital. So this surplus value is a part of variable capital. Constant capital is merely the transferring of already existing value into something else. Where the capitalist makes their money and where value produces itself, the valorization process, is through variable capital. Value comes out of value because of variable capital, and obviously specifically because the wage of the laborer 
is below the value they produce. So in the physical labor process, there are subjective and objective factors of production. And in the value producing process, these subjective and objective factors are variable and constant capital. What is meant by this is that in the concrete labor process, the objective factors are what you know physically go into production. There's a certain amount of cotton and a spindle that needs to be mixed together to produce yarn. And the subjective factors are the actual labor itself, the, the laborer taking the cotton and mixing it with the spindle, which is subjective because it's dependent you know, on the subject. Or the laborer, what the laborer does, it'll always be subjected to differences in how the laborer physically labors, obviously. But if we look at the value equation, Marx contrasts the value-producing element of labor and then the sort of transhistorical physical elements of labor. If we look at the value-producing part of it, the subjective elements are turned into variable capital, and the objective elements are turned into constant capital. This one is relatively short, this, this chapter, but I'll go over some more notes I have on it in the premium, talk more about the idea of uh, workplace democracy, and how it is still most certainly capitalist, as well as a, a bunch of other things. Uh, for $2 a month on my Patreon, patreon.com slash levega. And thank you to uh, ASDF, Corey, uh, Jennifer, Please Don't Fire Us, and Sierra for supporting me on Patreon. Much appreciated. Sorry I forgot to say this in the last episode. And I'll see you all next week.